tricky. It's tricky, isn't it? It is tricky. How do you love a vampire? We're going to talk about that. Uh, just want to share uh, what a blast it was last weekend to have Matt Forte here. Wasn't that awesome? He uh, did a great job telling us about his faith. We had 12,400 people here for uh, a guy who did not realize that he had that kind of a platform. Um, he knows he's a football star, but he didn't realize that, uh, that people would want to come and hear the Christian side of that. So uh, we're glad that you're here, Homer Campus. We're glad that you're here online. We're glad you're here. If you're wondering what was going on in between um, while Matt couldn't go out and greet people because the parking lot was too much of a mess, here's the video. This game is underway. They're winning the field position battle right here as they start the next drop. First down at the 28th. We'll go got him! Got him! Took him down, baby! I don't even know what I'm doing. I took him down! <laughs> I tackled Matt Forte. I just want to tell you, okay? That's all I wanted you to know is I, I tackled him, okay? Uh, welcome. Uh, next week, we start a new series called My Friend Has a Question. Every once in a while, we do this, and it's just kind of a way to, to catch the questions that people ask that, you know, don't necessarily fit into a, a normal series, okay? Uh, so next weekend is Super Bowl weekend. In case you didn't know, we're not having a Sunday night service because of that. But, but we're going to start this series off with how does prayer work? Because you've got to ask yourself, at some point, how does prayer work if half of the country is playing, praying for the Panthers and half of the country is praying for the Broncos? I mean, now, what is God supposed to do with that, right? Don't you want to know? And, and then the next week, I'm going to come back and talk about the difference between Parkview and uh, your Catholic background that most of you grew up in. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk one week about how would Jesus vote. Uh, you don't want to miss that. You know, I mean, we're going to talk about uh, pain and suffering, those qu answers to those hard questions and some of that stuff. And, and I want to encourage you uh, to do a group with this, okay? We don't have DVD teaching, but we do have questions that we will send you. And if you would just fill this out and say, hey, I'm a, I'm a current leader or, or I want to be a host or whatever, we will email you the questions. Throw this in the offering on its way by uh, at the end of the service or go out to the group's booth and, and just let us know that you want to do this. Or just even you want to do it with your family, just give us your email information and we'll send it to you, and you could sit around and chat about what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about some heavy topics in here. We're going to talk about uh, what the, the homosexuality, gay, lesbian, you know, LGBT issue. We're going to talk about some heavy things in here that I think are going to be really, really important, and I want to encourage you to be back. That'll start next week, all right? So, one more time, how to love the people who suck the life out of you. Um, how do you love... <laughs> A vampire, okay? That, that's, that, I mean, really, a vampire literally is somebody who not only sucks the life out of somebody else, but they actually have to suck the life out of somebody else so they can stay alive themselves. It's a great analogy. Why are there those people in the world in the first place? One of my favorite Gary Larson cartoons. This is God creating the world. There's the birds and the insects and the different skinned people, right? And, and he's, he's, he's creating the world, and look what he's doing. He's sprinkling jerks in just to make it interesting, right? Why did, why did God do that? Why did he sprinkle those people in? Why didn't he just leave that out? Actually, I think if you heard the first week, I think Gary Larson has it wrong. I think all of us are jerks from time to time. The truth is there are people who think I'm a jerk. There are people who think I'm a vampire. Seriously. I know, it's hard. Hard to imagine, but there are, okay? 
And, and I talked about this at the very, very beginning. Um, everyone is someone else's vampire, okay? We all suck. That's the truth. So we're supposed to put down the magnifying glass and pick up the mirror and start looking at ourselves, okay? There's not anybody in here who hasn't been a vampire at some point in your life. So the question is, how do you live your life as a follower of Christ and love vampires at the same time? The world has ways of dealing with it. I read a story of a guy who was in line to, you know, go to the go go to the airport, and the porter was working with the uh, with the bags, and and the guy in front of him in the line, and they were at that curbside check-in thing, you know, and so there there's a line there, and this guy in front of him is just in a bad mood for whatever reason, and he is just berating this poor guy who's trying to take care of his luggage. He's just telling him to be careful with my stuff, and are you sure you know what you're doing, and just yelling at him over and over again. So the guy leaves, and he's the next guy in line. He goes up and he goes. Man, I don't know how you deal with people like that. And, and the young man said, oh, it's no big deal. That guy's going to Denver. His bags are going to Brazil. I mean, it's pretty simple. <laughs> I mean, that's how we want to deal with it, right? But we're a church, and we're followers of Jesus, so we want to start with him. And how do we do that? So what I want to do today is look at some different ways that Jesus dealt with vampires. Because there's not one way, all right? I want to look at the strategies and the different things that, that, that Jesus came in contact with when he came into contact with vampires, and you might find it very different than what you'd expect, all right? Let me start in Matthew 23, and he's talking about these, these vampires called the Pharisees, all right? In case you don't know what a Pharisee was, a Pharisee was a person who was following Jesus, but not because they wanted to follow Jesus. They were following Jesus. They didn't want to be his disciple. They wanted to follow Jesus and trip him up. They, they wanted to discredit him. They, they, they wanted to do anything they could to ruin him, right? And what's worse for Jesus, Jesus doesn't care about that. What's worse for Jesus and what makes them vampires to Jesus is the fact that they want to keep people away from God, they are literally keeping people away from a relationship with their heavenly father. I showed this slide last week. I do it a lot. They were the scarecrows in front of the church building. And this is Jesus' description of who these people are. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads, and they put them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move a finger to help them. They act like vampires, they suck the life out of people, and they won't lift a finger to help them. They put on all these extra rules to make it harder to get to a relationship with God, but they won't lift a finger to help them. You know what that's called? That's called religion, all right? That's, that's what religion is. It's adding all these rules, making it all about the rules and the regulations, and you being good enough to get to heaven. And especially if you're not adding, if you're not even lifting a finger to help them. So that's who Jesus describes them as. And a few verses later, he just turns to them and says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. It is impossible to read the Gospels and come away with that ridiculous picture of Jesus looking like an anorexic hippie from Woodstock. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, that's just not possible. 
That's not who he is. If you think that Jesus was a doormat, you have it all wrong. He gave his life as a sacrifice. They didn't kill him. He gave his life. And he was not afraid to confront people who were getting in the way of God's kingdom on the earth. He didn't look like that. He looked like this. I found that picture on the internet. I love that. <laughs> when, it, when, when he went into the temple and started throwing people out, nobody stopped him, right? And here's what I want to say about this, okay? Jesus and vampires, some vampires need to be confronted. They need to be confronted. Sometimes you've just got to get face-to-face -face with somebody and say, look, you've got to knock this off. The hope of this strategy is that confrontation will serve as a wake-up call and bring about change of behavior. I've been involved in drug and alcohol uh, interventions you may have been yourself or you've seen them happen somewhere along the way. There are times when you have to sit down with somebody, get the friends and family together and say, listen, you're messing up your life and we love you too much to let that happen. I've done enough counseling with abused uh, wives, unfortunately, and a lot of times they're surprised when I say, well, the first thing you need to do is get out and get safe and tell them you're not coming back until they get help. Listen, some difficult people need to be confronted. Some vampires need to be confronted. Dr. Morris Massey said, for some people it takes a significant emotional event, a significant emotional event in order to bring about a change in behavior. Sometimes we need to confront. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. Uh, you notice, uh, you know, all the, uh, all the, all the qualifiers in there. You've got to do it gently, and you've got to be spiritual. Jesus just told us a couple of weeks ago, you've got to make sure you don't have a log sticking out of your eye before you try getting the sawdust out of somebody else's eye, right? But there are times when we need to do this. because, And I mentioned it first because I don't want you to get the wrong impression of what a Christian is supposed to be. That we're just supposed to be doormats and let everybody walk all over us. Jesus said, blessed are the meek. Right? Is that what we're supposed to be? Yeah, we're supposed to be meek. Do you know what meek means? The definition of meek was for a horse that had been broken. The horse is not any less strong or powerful than it was before. It's just learned to be restrained. That's what meek is. And you can confront in a restrained strength, be strong and meek all at the same time. It has to be for their benefit, not yours. Little, boy, mom, little boy's mom ran in the room one day when she heard him yelling. He was about five. And his little two-year-old sister had a handful of his hair. And you, know, you know how it is. And so mom goes in, gets the little girl, let go of his hair. Says, now, now, Johnny, she didn't mean it. She doesn't know it hurts. Turned and walked out of the room pretty soon. The little girl was screaming. She walked back in and said, what happened? Jack said, she knows now. <laughs> that, that's not what I mean, okay? It's not about retaliation. It's not about getting back. Uh, let me take you to another scripture to help you out with this. This has really been one I've been chewing on this week. Because there's, there's got to be a balance between us loving and helping people and us not enabling people at the same time, right? So here it is in Galatians 6. 
in Galatians 6, 2, as we go on, okay? Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you should restore him. We just did that. And then he goes on and says, and we should share each other's burdens and in this way fulfill the law of Christ. Well, what does that mean? What that means is if they're caught in a sin, you should share that burden and help them, all right? But whatever their burden is, the, the law of Christ is for us to help those other people. And if you think you are, this is the message paraphrase, if you think you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. You are not that important. Remember that, okay? That, that's part of the problem is that, you know, a lot, a lot of times uh, I just don't have time for anybody else's burdens to be involved in it. The law, law of Christ is that I help them. And we're supposed to share in each other's burdens, and most of us don't do enough of that. But what is a burden? This is interesting. Because he goes on in verse 5 and says, and we are all responsible for our own conduct. So that changes the tune just a little bit. Right? Here's what's cool about that verse. Literally, what that verse is saying is if somebody's caught in something, in a sin or whatever, we should help them. As a matter of fact, we should help them with whatever their burden is. But everybody has to carry their own weight. That's, that's, a, that's a paraphrase of the beginning of Galatians 6. What's the point? The point is that a burden is something that's so heavy that no other person could carry it, that no one person could carry it by themselves, okay? It's this heavy. It's literally a boulder, okay? That's what the meaning of this word is. So what does that mean for us? Well, somebody in our life, maybe they're caught in a sin, okay? Maybe they have a medical condition, Maybe their child has something going on that, that, that's really drastic. Maybe there's a crushing financial issue, loss of a job, they're going through a divorce, whatever. There are some things in life that we should not carry by ourselves. And you and I should not let other people carry those things by themselves either, even if they're acting like a vampire. But the word here for everyone is responsible for their own conduct could also be burden as well. It could also be translated that. So carry each other's burdens, but everyone is also responsible for their own burdens. In other words, if the load is too big, don't, don't let them carry it by themselves. But if the load is not too big, don't take it away from them. We are all responsible for our own burdens, the ones that we can carry. So if the hiking analogy works for you, here you go. Everyone should carry their own backpack. Oh, if they are stuck under a rock and they can't get out from under that rock, if they're hiking, you know, and all of a sudden there's a rock side and their arm is trapped and, and they can't get out, you shouldn't go, ah, you got a pocket knife, you're good. I saw that movie. No. <laughs> get the rock off. Okay, get the rock off of them. That's what should happen. But it also means that you probably ought to not go hiking with people who think you should carry their water and their granola bar. I mean, unless they're your kid and they're four years old, that's called enabling in recovery circles, okay? And when it comes to something that somebody should be carrying on their own, they should carry it on their own. The danger in this is finding the balance. The danger in this is sometimes we don't engage or we don't want to be bothered with other people's burdens because we don't think we have time or we think we're too important and we're fooling ourselves. But the other side is just as dangerous, and that's when we carry the things that we weren't meant to carry in the first place. And we rob people the, the, the good of owning their own lives and their own responsibility. See what I'm saying? That will suck the life out of us, 
and it will suck the life out of them. You're just creating vampires. And if you've ever been in this situation, you know how draining it could be. So what I'm saying is maybe you should quit saying no and help to somebody who's under a rock. And maybe you should start saying no and stop helping the people who want you to carry their granola bar. I can't tell you. You're going to have to figure that out. But the first thing Jesus did was confront. Now, if I back up a few, um, a, few, a few verses, a few chapters along the way, get back to the Sermon on the Mount, and we have a lot of teaching about vampires. Jesus says, <laughs> I love this verse. It, I don't know. It feels like it ought to be in a southern accent. <laughs> I don't know why. I'm from the south. This is, like, this is like good. This is like something my mama would have said, you know? Don't give dogs what is sacred. And don't throw your pearls to the pigs. If you do, they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. You understand what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying, listen, there are some people that are dogs. There are some people that are pigs. And there's nothing you're going to be able to do about it. So some difficult, some vampires, difficult people, jerks in our life, need to be ignored. They just need to be ignored. Don't, Don't throw your... Pearls to the pigs, man. You see what I'm saying? Worst joke of the week. What did the cannibal get when he was late for dinner? Cold shoulder. Some people, there's just nothing that you can do about them, nothing you're ever going to be able to do about them. They are dogs. They are pigs. I wish I could tell you something different. But sometimes investing your time and energy in trying to produce a significant change in someone else just isn't worth it. And there's not going to be any payoff from a confrontation because they are incapable of responding in a positive way. I will give you a personal example. I'm very bad at this. My wife is going to stand up and say amen when she's in one of these services. I am very bad at this when I'm driving. I, I should be able to just pretend that that moron that just passed 14 cars on the shoulder so that he could jump in in front of me when we're all trying to merge into one lane isn't there. I should just pretend that he's not there and ignore him. But it's, it's, not, it's not easy for me. I just want to call them a son of hell. That's biblical. I just want to lift a finger to help them. If you know what I mean. And that never helps, does it? Have you ever had anyone pull you over on down the road and say, hey, thanks for flipping me off. I didn't realize I was driving badly. (laughs) Of course not. This is what I'm saying. There's nothing you can do, so you need to ignore them. And the funny part about some people, some of our vampires, is that they do these things so they can get a reaction out of us. Don't you see that in your kids? I mean, especially when they're young. I mean, there are some times you need to confront them, you know, with the Board of Education. That's what my mom used to call it. Um, But a lot of times, if you just don't give them a reaction, they're going to realize their behavior is stupid and they're going to quit. Oh, you're holding your breath, Johnny? Good. Do you want me to time you? I remember a story, a great story from when we were raising our kids from Dr. James Dobson in a parenting book. Of, of a woman who had a little boy who was just terrorizing her with the threat of taking off his clothes in public. Every time they were in a store, he, he would say, if you don't give me that, I'm going to take off all my clothes. And it, it was, she just didn't know what to do with it. Until one day, she took him to the dentist. And it was a wise old dentist. And the little boy was in the dentist's office. And they said, okay, get up in the chair. He said, not, not going to do it. 
And the dentist said, son, you've got to get up in this chair. And the little boy said, no, if you make me get up in that chair, I'm going to take off all my clothes. And the dentist said, go ahead. So the little boy took off all his clothes and stood there. The doctor said, the dentist said, well, get up in the chair. So he got up in the chair, and he worked on him. And the dentist took all the, boy's little, all the little boy's clothes, put them in a bag, gave them to his mom, and said, don't give them back to him until he's in the car. Little boy walked out through that dentist's office, waiting room, stark pink naked, all the way out to his car, got in the car before mom gave him his clothes back. And he never, ever did it ever again. You see what I'm saying? She might have been arrested. I don't know the rest of the story, but he never, ever did it again. And it's the same way with grown-ups. Here's what's so funny about this. If people know how to push your buttons, it's your fault because they're your buttons. Do you see what I'm saying? They're your buttons. I mean, if, if they don't get a reaction out of you, they may give up. Either way, they don't deserve it. Don't throw your pearls to the pigs. Then, so, so you could confront or you could ignore. Then we back on up a little bit more and we get to the, uh, the, the real meat of dealing with people that are not easy. And Jesus says, you've heard it said that it was eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek... Turn to him the other cheek also. Now, I need to stop right here and explain that too. Because what Jesus was saying literally was a slap on the cheek. It was an insult. It would have been, it would have been akin to the old days when the, somebody would take out their gloves and slap you across the face and say, I don't like you. I'm challenging you to a duel. That, that's what this was. Jesus is not saying not to defend yourself. He's not talking about just let people beat you up. He doesn't say, if someone pokes out your right eye, let them poke out your left eye. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that some difficult people need to be endured. You just need to turn the other cheek. you got to admit that there are some people in this world that you may not like, you may not get, away, you may not get along with really well. I love the old Jimmy Durante line. He said, I couldn't warm up to that guy if we were cremated together. Just admit it, okay? You don't have to like them, but you may have to endure them. Todd did an excellent job two weeks ago talking about dealing with our anger and our unforgiveness. The Bible says, do not give the devil a foothold, right? That's, that's what happens when, when we don't endure. And what I mean by endure is that that doesn't mean you can't set boundaries, but maybe, it, and maybe it's time to tell your boss that you can't work weekends anymore. That's not what turning the other cheek is about. But there may be people in your life that you don't have any choice but to deal with them no matter what. And you're going to have to figure out a way to make it work. But this is true in your marriage. Denise and I wouldn't be married if we hadn't figured this out. There have been times when I have been a vampire and she has had to endure. And there have been times when she's been a vampire and I've had to endure. And there are times when confronting and ignoring are not the best solutions because love never fails. So there may be a period of time, especially when a period for what, you know, when a, when a person for whatever reason, for their health or emotional reasons is going to have to be treated with love and respect even when they don't deserve it. And as soon as I wrote that sentence in my sermon, I thought, and, and that's what our favorite marriage book is all about. It's called Love and Respect. I go back to this all the time. It's the book that we give every married couple in our life. It's a book that Becca and Andy are reading right now about the love and respect thing. In, in, in Ephesians 5, the, Paul says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, and wives, respect your husbands. 
I mean, there's two different needs for both of us, love and respect. That's what this whole book is about. And one of the interesting things in the book is the crazy cycle that we get in in a marriage. Okay? Without love, she reacts without respect, and he reacts without love, and she reacts without respect. And all of a sudden, you find yourself in the crazy cycle. That's what it's called. And that's what happens in a lot of marriages. And sometimes you're just going to have to endure that. But listen to what the Bible says. The Bible says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. Sometimes you're just going to have to endure and break the cycle by doing the right things instead of the wrong things. Which leads me to the last one. Jesus said, if someone forces you to go one mile, go two. That's going the extra mile, where that phrase came from. At this period of time, the, uh, the Jews were under Roman occupation. Roman territory was there. I mean, you know the whole story back to Jesus' birth and all the things that were going on. Romans were a very powerful people, and they were a very legal people. So they had rules, but they were also very hard. So the rule was, if you were standing by a Roman soldier one day and he wanted you to do something, he had legal right to make you walk with him for one mile and carry whatever it was that he wanted you to carry. And many soldiers were jerks about it, and they were abusive, and none of the Jews, you can imagine, nobody wants to go help the person who's occupied their country go do something, right? So there was a bad attitude about this. Well, what Jesus says, the essence of this whole thing with vampires is that some vampires need to be served, and you need to go the extra mile. We were having some fun for a while, weren't we? But boy, did it just stop. Hang on a second, Tim. You're telling me I'm supposed to go an extra mile for a vampire? I'm not telling you that. Jesus did. But before you throw that out, let me ask you a question. How's your way working out? You see, th this is true stuff, and you know it's true stuff. By serving them, in effect, what I'm saying is you don't have to be a vampire to me. I can give you what you need. One guy wrote about learning this lesson in business along the way. He worked for his father's uh, furniture store in Michigan. He said, I was about 12 years old when I learned this, this lesson very well. This elderly woman came in. She said, um, I bought a couch from you guys, and the leg has, has come off, and I want to know when you can come and fix it. And uh, the, man, the young man said, well, when, when did you buy it? She said, about 10 years ago. And he said, okay. Well, and he went back to his dad. He said, Dad, this crazy woman out there thinks we're going to go fix her couch. It's 10 years old. He said, my dad said, well, tell her we'll be there this afternoon. So on the drive out there, my dad could tell that, you know, something was bothering me. And he said, son, what's the matter? And I said, dad, I want to go to college. We can't afford to be going around fixing old sofas for free. We'll go broke. How's this going to work? And we went out and we fixed the sofa. And um, we were on our way back. And my, son, my, the, my dad could tell I still had a bad attitude. Dad said, well, did you learn anything? And the boy said, no, I still don't understand it. And Dad said, well, for one thing, son, you needed to learn how to do that repair job. And for another thing, you missed the most important part. Did you notice the tag on the couch when we flipped it over? It came from Sears. The boy said, you mean we did this for nothing? And she's not even our customer? And his dad said, she is now. 
And sure enough, a couple days later, she came walking in the furniture store, bought several thousand dollars worth of new furniture. And he said when we delivered it, she took a big jar of money, big jar of cash, set it up on the counter and said, take what you need and left the room. Teenagers, you should try this with your parents. I'm not saying your parents are vampires. You may feel that way. I'm not, I'm not saying that. But check this, okay? When they're being difficult, when they're, being, when, they're, when they're sucking the life out of you and asking you to do crazy things like be home at midnight, <laughs> come home at 11.45 and see what happens. When they, when they act like vampires and order you to do something completely unreasonable like clean your room, clean the bathroom too. I guarantee you, your parents will not ever be vampires ever again. Can I get an amen, parents? Uh, you see what I'm saying? It works that way with everybody. It works that way with people in general. And there's some people that you don't want to throw your pearls to. I mean, there's some people you need to endure for a season. And there are some people that you need to confront. But when it comes to some vampires in my life, and, and in general, all of them, if I can say to them, look, you don't need to bite me. Don't turn, into a, don't turn me into a vampire, and don't be a vampire. I'll stick a needle in my arm. I've got an IV. I'll give you what I can. I'm not going to give you more, but I will give to you freely. That's how Jesus dealt with vampires. So your question is, well, which one of these strategies do I use at which different time? And here's the key. To answer that, you need to go back and understand the core of Jesus' teaching. And it's basically, it's basically this. I tell you, those who hear me, love your enemies. All right? Unfortunately, that's the best thing I can tell you about vampires. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. <coughs> Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. That's the core of any teaching about how to deal with our enemies. So here's the question. According to Jesus, the foundational principle by which I should choose my response is this. Which strategy is the most loving course of action? For them. The question is not, what's the worst thing I could do to them and get away with? Not as a Christ follower, the question is, how can I love them in a way that makes them move beyond whatever it is that makes them act like that? Because the truth of the matter is, vampires need help. Can you understand that today? I've never had a vampire in my life that wasn't that way because they were crying out for something. Love, attention, self-worth, security. And the times in my life when I'm the biggest vampire are the times when I'm the most needy. And in most cases, they're trying to make you miserable because they're miserable and they need to be loved. And sometimes the most loving thing that can happen to a vampire is to confront them, but not for our sake, for theirs. And sometimes we need to ignore them because if we don't, nothing is going to change. It's going to frustrate us and it's not going to end lovingly. And sometimes it's enduring because it may just be a phase in their life. But always, always, always the loving thing is to serve them, to go the extra mile. No matter what we choose to do, it has to be motivated by by a love for them. And I know some of you are thinking, this is crazy. This, is, this doesn't make any sense. But when we do it our way, what do we end up with? High blood pressure and a bad attitude. So how about if you try Jesus' way? 
Let's be honest. I think the reason we don't like the idea of loving our enemies or serving a vampire is not because it doesn't work. It's because it's hard. And here's what it could look like. Tom Anderson is a nationally syndicated newspaper columnist, and he writes about his marriage. His marriage was in trouble. He knew it was in trouble. They, 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 there wasn't any abuse. There wasn't anything bad going on. They just weren't happy with each other. And he knew it wasn't going the right direction. They were stuck. And he said, we were headed off to vacation. We rented a house on the beach, and we were headed off, and we were driving. It was late one night. The kids and the dog are asleep in the back, and my wife is asleep in the passenger seat, and we've been driving all day, and I'm, I'm trying to stay awake just to get there. So I turned on the radio just to see what was on, and there happened to be a radio preacher on urging men to love their wives as Christ had loved the church and gave himself up for her. And he said, I don't know why, but something he said really stuck with me, and I thought, you know what? I guess it's worth a try. Can't hurt. So on that one-week vacation, he did everything he could to make his wife feel loved and valued. And he talked to her about things he didn't usually talk to her about, and he helped her with stuff he didn't normally help her with. And they went for walks on the beach instead of sitting around watching television like he would have been. And he said it wasn't easy, but he also said it wasn't as hard as he thought it would be because something was different inside of him after what he'd heard on the radio that night. And he realized there might be something to this. So when the vacation was over, he just kept on doing it. He kept on trying to make her feel valued and cherished. And after a few weeks, the relationship started to really take off. And they were feeling really close, and it felt really, really good. And he thought, this is great. It's working. Then one morning, he walked into the bedroom, and she was sitting on the edge of the bed, despondently looking at the floor with tears in her eyes. And he said, honey, what's wrong? And she said, you know that doctor's appointment we went to before vacation? Yeah, that physical? What about it? She said, do you know something that I don't know? <laughs> he said, what? And she looked at him and she said, Tom, you've been so good to me these last four weeks. Am I dying? <laughs> he smiled and said, no, honey, you're not dying. I'm just learning how to live. Let's pray. Lord, I know this is not easy. I want to pray as we uh, spend a little time in worship here because uh, the trump card in all of this is that we have your power to do it. And you told us that you would give us the power. You would give us the power to love. You would give us the power to serve. So as we spend a moment just thinking about the vampires in our life and what we need to do, we're going to spend a moment in worship and power up so that we're ready for whatever comes our way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.